Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Goddess Podcast Project with your hosts, myself, Dr. Andrea Goldmarks, Jennifer Davis Page, and Bibi Peters. This podcast aims to ignite inspiration in primetime women by creating a super learning community, a safe space for all women to contribute their voices and visions. For more information on this episode and to learn more, visit us at boomgoddessradio.com. It being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I mean, it brings up so much compassion, so much empathy, and so much curiosity, how the field has changed, and how we've heard so many stories from so many women about that whole journey from identification and diagnosis to all the different paths and their consequences. One of the things that's so interesting that we've heard, and I think you know this, is People will say breast cancer changed my life and then they'll go on to talk about it, that it was a major transformation psychologically and that there's more peace and there's more um, awareness. And I'm just wondering what you've made of that. You're not a breast cancer uh, survivor, are you? No, I am not. But um, when you speak of it, I feel the energy and pain and passion and the transform and the transformative um uh, the inspiration that our friend pamela has experienced and she's a three times breast cancer survivor and we're going to talk to her in just a little while and ask her how she was able to process the diagnosis each time and how her commitment to eating healthy propelled her on the path to recovery a new career and her beloved community garden i mean that's transformation in itself it is It is. And there are so many avenues. Some people find art. Most people do find some spiritual component that they really want to attach to and and have it and and incorporate that into their way of life. There are over 200,000 people that are diagnosed with breast cancer every year in America. And I've I had a conversation with some very young women yesterday. I'm talking young, between 20 and 23 years old. And having a breast exam for them never entered their mind. But statistics say that if you're 20 years old, you should start having your breast checked. And so I gave them all a little spiel about how important it is. So now I've gotten about eight young women to go to the doctor this month and have their their um, their breasts checked. Now they say when you're 20 years old or 25 years old you should have your breasts checked about one, once every three years. When you get to be the age of 45 to 54 every year and 55 and 55 and older oddly enough every two years. I just want our listeners to understand how important it is. Some people told me yesterday, these young people said that, I don't have anybody in my family that even has breast cancer. Why should I have my breast examined? And I told them that there's a large percentage of young women that has no family history at all that are stricken with it. So it's very, very important that they have it checked. You're such a crusader, you know, Jen, right? Isn't she? Um, you really want to bring the resource to the table, to the fore 
front of our listeners' minds. And we'll be talking to Dally as well, right? And she'll be providing us some information. Absolutely. Dr. Andrea and Jennifer Davis Page. Hi, Pamela. Good morning, my dear. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hi, hi. We've been talking about the DNA of overcoming, and your overcoming breast cancer three times makes us sit in total awe of your spirit, honey. Thank you. Can you tell us right this minute, Pamela, where you're sitting and what environment you're in? Tell us just a little bit about where you are in this moment. Well, I'm inside of the community center of Tubac, and I'm staring outside at the beautiful field and also the pickleball game that's in progress and my garden. And it's about 75 degrees with white, wispy clouds in the sky. And what's growing in your garden? I am still growing tomatoes. I am growing green beans. And today is the day to take out our okra that's been growing for four months. And I'm also growing little tiny baby beet seedlings and lettuce and peppers and and lots of peppers. Amazing. Um, were you always a healthy eater or did cancer alert you to the value of eating healthy? Like, what's your, what's your typical day of food? Well, let me just start with, I thought that I was a healthy eater. Let's go back into last century. And I was a marathon runner and I was eating a lot of pasta. And I thought pasta was the end all when you're training for long distance sports. What I found out as I became educated in nutrition, that that is sugar. And so I was not eating healthy. However, now as a trained wellness professional, I eat much healthier. I'm having a green smoothie this morning with a banana, chia seeds, the matcha green tea powder in it, and what else? Some ice and some almond milk. Has that become your go-to quick, you know, quick get-up-and-go smoothie of the day? Well, I don't always have it first thing, but I do have a smoothie every day because the product that I use has powdered servings of fruits and vegetables, and they're organic, plus it has spirulina and everything I need to, to have that energy throughout the day, so I do get it in at some point. It just depends on how I feel or what my day is like. Yes, it's the practice. So how did the how does practicing healthy eating uh, has given birth to the community garden? How did that, that happen? Oh, that's a great question, Bibi. As part of my education at Integrative Nutrition, the largest nutrition school in the world, actually, having its 25th anniversary this week, I learned that our food is coming from thousands of miles away and the ground is depleted of most nutrients and to grow our own food is a spiritual practice as well as a way of giving our body what it needs to be that healthy vehicle that transports us every day to do everything that we need to do. So the garden for me is not only just fresh food, it's also getting people together and living a healthy life, and it gives me an opportunity to talk to them about health and wellness. It's kind of my secret weapon to talk about wellness and lifestyle with 
with my neighbors. You know, some people believe that a diagnosis, as you have had, like breast cancer or really any diagnosis, um, you know, kind of gets us acquainted with mortality that comes up. And it often works as a portal to like a whole new life. Can you talk a little bit about how life has been transformed for you after your diagnoses? I was diagnosed in 1994. While I was a new resident of Washington State, I was a California resident prior to that. And I knew at that point when I was living in California after 42 years that my lifestyle was out of balance. I knew it internally. And so when I moved to Seattle, my my plan and my goal was to shift my whole life, and I did that. And about a month after I, was, I got there to Washington, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it was an inter- internal shift that I made before I even knew it was breast cancer. I just knew that I was, it was so out of balance. And so I, I got rid of my business. I sold it. I got bit, rid of bad relationships. I pared down all of my ownings. I had three homes. I pared down all of my lifestyle. I went to a very small house. I just pared down everything and started over. That's that's kind of what I did and rebalanced my life. That's so huge. You know, that internal um, internal feeling that it was out of balance mm-hmm. and just that deep intuition that you had to depart radically from what was sustaining your life, the businesses you were in, the homes that you were divided among, the relationship that wasn't nourishing. I mean, all that information came flooding in and you knew what you had to do. It sounded like you knew you needed to start over. Yes, it was an internal knowing. Pamela, were you having regular mammograms uh, at the time? Oh, yes. I had my first mammogram when I was 38 because my mom was a breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed in 1969 when she was in her 40s as well. And so I just assumed that I was going to get breast cancer because the publicity or the way they spoke about breast cancer, and I think they still do, is they do talk a lot about inherited genetic breast cancer. And what I found out after I'd had some of my mammograms and um, talked more with the doctors and got more educated and looked at statistics that only 10% of breast cancer is inherited. However, I was I didn't know that at the time, so I started getting my mammograms fairly early, around 38 years old, and I had my first lumpectomy when I was 42, and that was through a mammogram that had some suspicious cells and... Um, after they did this surgical biopsy, I was diagnosed with something called DCIS, which is a stage one ductal carcinoma in situ, which means the cancer cells have not escaped through your milk ducts. It's a very wonderful type of cancer to have if you're going to get breast cancer. That's the one you want. It's ductal inside your milk ducts. So I did lumpectomy and radiation. And that was, I thought, the end of it. And then two years later, after I was going for mammograms every six months, it appeared on the other breast, the same type of cancer, except this one was not estrogen-fed, so a little bit of difference, but it was still what they they deem ductal carcinoma in situ. So I did lumpectomy and radiation on that side, six weeks of radiation, so I had done both sides, and I continued to get more mammograms as part of that process of, of tracking what was going on in my body. And sure enough, in 1999, it was back in both breasts. 
And that's when I decided in 2000 to have a bilateral mastectomy. Pamela, can you speak a little bit to you saying what was going on in your body? What was going on in your mind and in your heart? How were you dealing emotionally with the, uh, with the diagnosis each time? Oh, I was a hysterical wreck. <laughs> I, I cried like a baby the first time because I thought for sure that I was going to have what my mother had, which she had an invasive cancer back in 1969, wherein they removed one breast and gave her the most horrific mastectomy I've ever seen. She probably had, and I'm not exaggerating, ladies, probably a 10-inch scar across her chest like an X, and they removed all of her lymph nodes. And my mom suffered with lymphedema her whole life, wearing one of those um, sleeves. And so... I think I had PTSD. I was traumatized by that experience. And at the time, I didn't know that, but I was very, very emotional about the whole process. I just thought for sure I was a goner because I didn't know anything. Did you have a good support group around you at the time, Pamela, when you found out initially? Oh, no. I had just moved to Washington State. I didn't know but two people in the whole state. However, I'm a very resourceful person, as Dee can tell you. And I jumped right in and got very involved with some of the agencies in my community. And, and one of those was Susan G. Coleman. And the resources provided to me and for me were phenomenal. The educational pieces, the support, the breast cancer meetings I went to. And then there was also some other organizations. There was a breast cancer support groups at the hospital. There were so many things. I just got involved in lots of things and actually became a board member of Susan G. Coleman after a couple of years and worked with them for about eight years. I was their early detection model in some of the local magazines, including the Tucson magazine. Because normally, normally, ladies, really quick, this, this is a really important point. When you are diagnosed with breast cancer the first time, you have a 50% chance of it being invasive if you are diagnosed again. And for me to have it three times and none of it being invasive is almost a miracle. So I'm very, very lucky and, and I'm blessed. So I wanted to get that point out. Yeah, it's an important, it's such an important point. And, you know, when we envision the the path of any disease, um, there's been so much research to show that a word like containment is just a good thought, thought to walk around with in terms of the mind-body connection. You had it naturally, but I'm just going to throw it out there, that being able to use imagery to envision containment is uh, sometimes a very potent factor. It's a form, really, of, of self-hypnosis. Let me ask you one question that might be hard to, to answer, to single it down, but what would you say, um, because this would be advice for other people as well, what would you say was the wisest counsel you received during that time when you were really opened, broken open, to learn everything you could about working with this disease? What was the most helpful counsel you received? Well, for me, I saw many doctors because I was so terrified about losing my breath. I kept going to see different doctors and trying to get different opinions, and they all pretty much came up with the same opinion that I needed a bilateral mastectomy. And I was in a breast cancer support group at Evergreen Hospital in Washington State, and I was at a very low point because I still was refusing to do this. I just thought, when you have little sprays of cancer cells, how, why would I remove body parts? I want to treat my whole body. So I was in that transition. 
And the doctor that evening, his name, and I'll never forget him, his name is Dr. Michael Hunter. And he was talking to the group of women in their, they were in the, all in their 60s. I was in my 40s, and I just didn't feel like I fit. And he saw my eyes. I was crying through the whole meeting, just tears, just flooding. And during the break, he pulled me aside, and he said, I would love to talk to you after our meeting tonight. And I stayed and spoke with him, and he was a Harvard-trained radiologist in Washington State and the most kind, gentle, loving male, uh, uh, African-American male, by the way, so educated from Harvard, he set up an appointment with me like three days later wherein he took all of my mammograms and he went and did tremendous amount of research and showed me the statistics and he sat with me and gave me all the information I could ever ask and that's the day I made the decision to do what I did and that was to have a bilateral mastectomy. Prior to that, I was just confused and all, all over the place and still fighting fighting the answers I was getting. So I looked at, I guess, statistics. It highlights the need for that compassionate connection. Women who have had a good relationship, a trusting relationship, I mean, there's so many little decisions that need be made along the route that to have a mentor, interestingly, to have a kind male mentor is such a gift. What a divine intervention that was. Absolutely, because I was figuring everything out on my own. I really did not have much. I had my husband as a support system, but he didn't know anything. I didn't have what's out there now in 2016. There's so many resources, and women talk about it now. It was a different time. You know, that's um, 20 over 20 years ago. It's a different time now. So I was open like you I was asked. So we have opened the discussion, and I'm wondering if you had to give advice, what advice might you give a woman who is just beginning this journey? Maybe she is scared that her mammogram came back um, suspicious. Maybe she had to wait a little bit, which is torturous, to have a second mammogram, or she's recently diagnosed. What's the best advice that you could give a woman in that situation? The best advice I would give a woman in that situation is to make sure that she has support, whether it be a girlfriend, uh, a spouse, or whomever, to go with her to each doctor's appointment to take notes so that when she leaves that doctor's office, she can have someone help her with the tremendous amount of information that's coming her way. So that's number one. Good advice. Number two, to get involved in some of these organizations like Coleman or whatever is in your neighborhood, support groups, and learn from other women who are in in um, the process or are survivors like myself. And I get calls quite often still to this day helping women get through the process, just reaching out and talking about it. It's excellent advice. Well, we want to, we don't want to keep you for too long from your garden, uh, but you are... Uh, so inspiring to us. Not only are you cultivating the garden, but you continue to cultivate your spirit and your passion for giving back to the community. And we are so appreciative, Pamela, of your sharing the story with us. And the uh, you. To, to underscore the transformation that you went f- from patient to wise guide. 
And, you know, to have the support of women particularly thrive on the support of other women and to be a mentor and a coach as somebody who has gone through a myriad of um, facets of this particular journey is such a gift. And I think that for women who can undergo such a thing and to overcome all the difficulties and then to give back is just a beautiful, beautiful, generous act. And, And we thank you for sharing. Well, thank you both. Uh, Thank all three of you for giving me the opportunity to talk about my journey. Quinn is a remarkable businesswoman here in Tucson. She owns Dolly Quinn uh, Spa, uh, Beauty Salon and Spa. And Dolly is associated with a group called the Personal Care Products Council uh, Foundation of America. Which is national. Which is national. And that's why we're speaking to her. And she's going to give us some wonderful information today uh, on how to care for our bodies while we're going through radiation or chemotherapy. There are products out here that can help our skin, our hair, our psyche. And so we are really, I feel very, very fortunate to be able to have her with us this morning. Let's do it. Good morning. We're so happy to have you on the phone. This is Andrea. And Jennifer. Oh, Andrea, nice that I've met you, but good, good to talk to you today, too. Thanks for checking in. And Jennifer. And Bibi. Welcome. Welcome. Good to talk to you ladies this morning. Um, Dolly, I want to thank you very much for being a, a, a source on our, our podcast this morning uh, on Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I want you to talk about your your Personal Care Products Council Foundation and give our listeners all the information that you think is necessary uh, to help them with their journey. Okay, I'm so glad to do it, ladies. And for anybody listening out there and people to know this very important month, the the Look and Feel Better program that is a partnership with the professional cosmetology industry, the Personal Care Products Council Foundation, which is the charitable division of the cosmetics industry, and they very graciously donate over 40,000 kits a year that are distributed across the United States for the program. And the program is free, and it's held in many cities across the country. Dolly, tell us, can you give us a a step-by-step? Tell us exactly what, if a woman is um, diagnosed with breast cancer, and has to go through radiation or chemotherapy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that that's where the Personal Care Products Council comes in. Tell us, please, from A to Z, if you will. Okay. So, for example, say a woman is she's diagnosed, and now she's connected with her physician, but they can, from that point, also contact the American Cancer Society. I'll give you an 800 number at the end here. And your local Arizona oncology offices, several will have information about the program. And these are group sessions held monthly, free for the women. And through the 800 number, they can find anywhere in the country for local, for their friends in another state, where to participate in the program. And each program, the women signed up will get a 
free kit with a $250 value of medics that during the two-hour session, which is a hands-on workshop, we will demonstrate and discuss all kinds of issues with their skin, different side effects they're going through as they have treatment. And it's individualized for each survivor as they go through that treatment. And it's a very great appreciation that personal care products are a brainchild of a connection with a physician to get these groups, the American Cancer Society, to implement the program, the volunteers licensed to conduct the program, and the personal care products giving the free kits Everything is free of charge for these ladies for these sessions. Dolly, is the kit, is the um, uh, b- being able to obtain the kit, is that contingent upon attending the session, the information yes. session? Yes. The criteria to, re- yeah, to receive a complimentary kit, the women need to sign up to attend the particular session. And if for some reason they couldn't attend, they can let them know come another time. However, there are times when sometimes the woman is not in emotional shape or something and cannot attend a session. Private sessions can be arranged for those of us that are able to do that. In that case, they don't receive a kit. We work with what makeup and things they maybe have, and sometimes there are special arrangements made. They usually talk to me here on a local level and stuff because we want the women to have access to what they're going to need to take care of it. And one thing I want to tag on besides the personal care products, those of us licensed, several of us like myself, also give information during that session on wig care, where to get the wigs for free, those of us that shape them and cut them for the ladies for free also. Another thing to know. That's great. It's so grassroots, so personalized, so individualized. Mm-hmm. That's so hopeful for people who are listening that have a concern like this. Now, Dolly, yeah. the, kits are, the kits are free, but are the, are, is there a cost to the sessions? Not at all. That's the beauty of this. I personally have information through my organizations I belong to for the women, and this is one thing we do not want the women to worry about it. They've got more than enough on their plate they're trying to handle. So they will get the attention for two hours, great information we share. This kit will go home with them, and they are also invited to call if they want follow-up information. They can bring their kit, call up and sign up and come back for another free session. They will simply bring the kit they already have. If they received a new diagnosis down the road after a treatment or something, then they're eligible. They could get another kit at that time if they needed to. Dolly, does do the sessions extend? Is there an option for women to um, create a support group for one another? Let's just say it's it's a, a you know a few newly diagnosed women. Do the sessions extend so that this group can, for instance, bond and then um, go on meeting periodically? There's so much research about that. Okay, yeah, what what will usually, the beauty of having the ladies attend a group session, and it may be one, three, five, or ten people usually maximums our desired size, they will meet each other and connect with each other during the session because we have refreshment and they kind of are talking and commiserating as we do our session. From there, they get each other's information often, and then there's other things that we give them information about what's available. From there, they can choose to participate in many other services that are free or reduced rate and we share that extended information during this session because we want them then be armed with everything they possibly can to help such a valiant valiant effort can you tell us dolly how long this has been going on did i read that this is over a hundred years old 
No, no, no. This this particular Look Good Feel Better program is probably probably coming up to its twenty eighth year here. That was started about nineteen eighty nine. If you do the math. However, a lot of us in the industry always did things, but once the brainchild came to form this, we now have a better organization to be able to, like monthly, there are three sessions held in Tucson, Arizona, depending on the size of the city, there may be several different sessions a month for the women to know. And from there, I can tell you personally myself, because I've been in the industry for 46 years, I've done an incredible amount of like one-on-one sessions because I take it by what I see with the women I meet through the other women connected with other ones. And it keeps growing and growing because we want a cure. But until we have a cure, we need all these things in place to support these women. That's such a wonderful example of how a need then engenders a commitment from impassioned people. And then Mm -hmm. that, you know, in every city, because this is not a judgmental uh, situation, breast cancer, it's everywhere. So it's so beautiful to see the process of how this burgeoned as well. And what a service that provides at this point. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And let me... Let me share a 1-800 number with you. This is 1-800-395-LOOK, like L-L-O-K. Anyone can call that number and find out everywhere in the country what cities, what the programs are, and go from there to sign up for a program and get information. Right, and that's L-O-O-K. Right. Right. And is there a website that that some people who were tech-oriented would go to as well? Yes, there's www lookgoodfeelbetter.org, O-R-G. That's great. So it's lookgoodfeelbetter.org. Now for for local listeners here in Tucson, Dolly, would you like to give your telephone number as well for our Tucson ladies that might need to ask you a few questions? Sure. For For our Tucson ladies, they're going to call the local American Cancer Society office at, you know, 520-323- 4200, and they will get a main number, and from there, they can obtain the individual numbers to sign up for the different sessions depending on the day and the time of day that will work for them, because we do have it varied for morning and evening type of things. And so you have a couple of different centers in town, probably yes. in each city, where those services yes, yeah. are provided. So on the local, the local situation in Tucson, we're at Arizona Oncology at, you know, by Tucson Medical Center, Grant and Craycroft. We have one at UMC Banner North on Campbell and Allen. And we have one at Rudisville and La Choya at Arizona Oncology. Those are held monthly. And then once a quarter, we do one at uh, St. Mary's all the way on the west side. And I imagine that the website would list similar services in different cities so that our sisters can be guided um, now that we have this idea and resource at our fingertips. Yeah. Uh, we might want yeah. to call a friend in New York City or in Chicago and, and let them know of the service that's being provided. That would be right. great. But when we have people come from out of the country and visit, we take care of those women too because that's what women do. We get a connection. We make sure they will be able to be taken care of. That's wonderful. We thank you so very much for giving our listeners this valuable information, and um, and we also thank you for doing the work that you do here locally in Tucson. Okay, and for what it's worth, if you would like to have, I'm fine for people to call me personally at 520-298-9197. They can call me directly here if someone needed to talk to me further about it. 
Again, we thank you very much. So generous. Thank you, Dolly. It's so wonderful to have Dolly uh, share that personal care Products Council Foundation. What a wonderful resource they are for, for all women. And it just should be pointed out that the Susan Coleman Foundation as well is, of course, a long-established foundation. And here's one disease that really gets a lot of attention these days to, ma- to you know make up for the attention that wasn't there back in the day when Pamela's mother was undergoing back Gosh. in... How much more difficult is that, right? When you're alone and you can't uh, get to the information or the resources. And in many cases, those weren't even available. So now, really, women who come across this in their life have so much more to lean on. The conversation has opened up for many things. I mean, we can just look around us. I mean, things that were um, hidden before or maybe even shameful and not discussed are now, thanks to media, conscious media, are exposed and how fortunate for women to be able to have support. And breast cancer is one of those diseases that really illustrates the uh, beneficial aspect Research shows that support can increase longevity and to be aware of the mind, body, and spirit aspects of disease, of all disease, but in this case, breast cancer, is just a wonderful gift. Dolly is one of the uh, members of our network of extraordinary women, and she really is that. One of the stories that touched me when I first met her was I was speaking with a, a woman that was going through chemotherapy at the time, and she told me that she was sitting in her backyard one Sunday morning and she ran her hand through her hair and hair fell out into her hand. And she said she started crying and she called Dolly and Dolly said, get to my salon right away. And what Dolly did was she cut her hair so that she, there wouldn't be any holes in her hair. And she, she was, the woman told me that that made her feel like a million dollars. So this, the community that comes uh, around when this, this tragedy happens to women, I think is remarkable. And, and I, I just salute the women and, and men that have been so supportive to women that have, are going through breast cancer and, and chemotherapy and radiation therapy. I, I, take my hat off to them. That whole relationship between how we look and how we feel is a very interesting one, very particular here in breast cancer, but in all cancer treatments, and really in all illness, including mental illness, that really to be taking care of yourself, at least in a minimal way, is definitely a factor in the healing process and makes it easier to reach out. We're so fortunate that we now have developed the technology, Bibi and I were just discussing that earlier. Yes, right. It, to be able to um, have the comfort and some skills to get on the internet and research and uh, find out what are the possible options for dealing with something that comes up in your life. And also to perhaps form some personal Facebook groups where you have an instant group of women and supporters that are uh, cheering you on on your path. 
Yeah, and we have had other guests here who've recommended that because some diseases are very, very specific. And it's wonderful to have the ability to reach into the world and to be able to mobilize a support group that's even just specific to your situation. Because we can't always just walk across the street to a neighbor or reach out to a good friend or relative. Sometimes we need to go outside our existing circle. And to have the ability to do that is it's one of the nice things about the 21st century social media. Imagine the possibilities. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Dr. Andrea, Jennifer, and Bibi, your boom goddesses, signing off. Each voice of wisdom shares ripples out into our universe and inspires so many others. Namaste. For technical reasons, portions of this program have been pre-recorded. 